Gar and I, as you know, as we sit here together and, and talk about this, we, we understand accountability and we are accountable for what this team did this year. We don't run away from it. We accept it. Uh, that's that's on us. Locked on Bulls, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, a show for the most passionate fan base in the NBA. Your number one source for Chicago Bulls news and stories. For me to be here in the NBA organization, such a historic organization that Chicago Bulls, so it's just a dream come true for me. Live on Dash Radio every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. This is going to be a process. It doesn't, you'll snap your fingers and it all happens at once, but um, that's the plan moving forward. So kick back, relax, and get ready for the best hour of your day. Locked on Bulls starts now. Here are your hosts, Jordan Malley and Matt Peck. What's up and welcome into Locked on Bulls, part of the Locked on Podcast Network. We're live on Dash Radio, DashRadio.com and the Dash Radio app. On the Nothing But Nut channel, we're live on Dash Radio every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central Time. I'm your host, Jordan Malley, writer of Bulls Basketball and NBA at FanRag Sports and College Hoops at SB Nation. Along with me is Matt Peck, Bulls writer at FanRag Sports and the host of the 312 podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Jordan C. Malley, at Bulls underscore Peck, and at Locked on Bulls. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Locked on Shy Bulls. And subscribe to the show on iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and anywhere you find podcasts, you will find us. Be sure to follow the Locked on Podcast Network on Twitter as well. If you haven't seen it on Twitter or Facebook, we have another giveaway uh, going on right now. So all you have to do, we're giving away a Joakim Noah 16 by 20 photo autographed by him so one of the one of Bulls fans favorites in Joakim Noah so we have that to give away all it takes is you to go to iTunes or your favorite podcast provider leave us a review screenshot that review and send it to lockedonbulls at gmail.com you'll automatically be entered to win so we're doing that that's continuing this week so make sure that you enter into the contest and we'll be drawing that winner um, in a few days here so make sure you're getting your entries in there so, Matt, so the first thing we need to talk about here is this Hornets game last night. Uh, this this is probably one of the worst days. Barf. Barf. Do we have to? <laughs> one of the worst days, maybe, of the season for Bulls fans. This, uh, this coming with not only sliding all the way down, where just a couple of days ago we were talking about a potential move up to seven or six. The Bulls slide all the way back to nine. The Knicks have lost four in a row, and the Bulls have won three in a row. So uh, I don't. I, I honestly like Bulls fans are very angry right now, but I don't. I don't know exactly what the Bulls could have done more to try and lose that game last night. And the Hornets were climbing and clawing back, but outside of Sean Kilpatrick, who just dominated that fourth quarter, there wasn't much more Fred Hoiberg could have done with that lineup, especially in the fourth quarter. Look, okay. I, this game, oh my god I wanted to vomit watching this game last night you I mean you're not entirely wrong and that like what more could have could Fred have done to not so discreetly tank especially in the second half and the fourth quarter of that game look nobody expects Sean Kilpatrick who's been on this roster for all of what 10 days now to go out there and drop 19 of his 21 points in the fourth quarter, crossing people up, getting and ones, draining threes. Like, it was ridiculous. However, what the hell is Justin Holiday doing in there in the fourth quarter? Justin Holiday played 28 minutes, and a good chunk of those came in the fourth quarter. One of the big plays in this game, when the Bulls were clinging to that lead while the Hornets 
after three and a half quarters of looking like they didn't give a shit about that game, the Hornets wake up, led by Malik Monk. They make a comeback. The Bulls are clinging to a lead. Jaron Grant, bless his soul, is up there chucking bricks. Jaron Grant chucks a bad three early in the shot clock. (laughs) Classic Jaron Grant. Misses it. Cristiano Felicio gets an offensive rebound, kicks it out to Justin Holiday, who drains a three to pad the Bulls' lead back up. And I, I mean, I lost my freaking mind on that play specifically. What the hell is Justin Holiday still doing in that game? Jaron Grant, bless his soul, is out there trying to get this Bulls tank to happen. What the hell is Justin Holiday doing in this game? Look, there's not much you can do, as you said, if a random Sean Kilpatrick fourth quarter takeover happens. That sucks. Not much you can do about the, the Charlotte Hornets playing three and a half quarters of basketball where they look like they don't care. Same thing that happened against Washington on Sunday. Even if the Bulls are putting their 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 tanking lineup out there in the fourth, if the Wizards just flat don't show up, not much you can do about that. In in the the win over Orlando last Friday, Ryan Archie Diacono leads a comeback in the fourth quarter after the Bulls go two of twenty two in the third. Not much you can do about that. But what the hell is Justin Holiday doing getting fourth quarter minutes? Are the Bulls afraid? Uh, that that the, that the league is going to come penalize them if Holiday's not playing in the fourth quarter? What are they going to do, take their pick away? No. Come on, have some balls. If you're trying to tank, if you're trying to move up a few spots, actually do everything you can in your power. And there is no excuse for Justin Holiday being in that game in the fourth quarter. There's no excuse for Bobby Portis being in that game in the fourth quarter. This is go. This will go down as maybe one of the worst losses if the Bulls do end up staying at that ninth spot. Now in the draft, like you look back at this game, like you had said, Lowry Market and Bobby Portis were playing way too well to stay in that game together, especially coming into that second half. Um, some of the things that we that you highlighted there though are like. Normally, you would not be pissed off about plays like Cristiano Felicio making a nice play uh, late in a game, like things like this. But now we're in the last five games. It really does mean something in terms of lottery position for the Bulls. And that's this is why, like, I, I understand they're trying to win games like the players are out there trying to win. But Fred Hoiberg has to understand, like, what does it do winning a game in the last five, five games of the season? None of these games are are are, are meaningful for the Bulls. Uh, your your th- core three isn't even out there playing. Like you're not developing any guys outside of just maybe taking a look at some guys like Sean Kilpatrick and Ryan Archidiakono who were getting minutes. But I'm with you. I don't know if it was a decision between putting out a, sh- a hot Sean Kilpatrick and continuing to keep him out there on the floor. Or allowing Justin Holiday to go out there and maybe Justin Holiday bricks some shots. But, I mean, he went 7 for 16 in this game. He had 19 points. So, I don't know if Fred was between those two. But, I don't know. I don't see why you couldn't have thrown Campaign and Ryan Archidiakono and David Nawaba out there as your three in that uh, backcourt. But, I don't know. I, I was scratching my head. I can't believe the Bulls scored 34 points to, to close out a fourth quarter and to close this game out. It only sets it back even farther, and now the the chances. Now it's more so we need to look at the eighth spot and and pray that the Knicks pull out a game here in the next th- final four games. Here, um, I don't know what to I don't know what to think of this tank. I I I, I if the Bulls end up in the ninth position, um, this goes from being maybe a pretty decent first step in the tank to a complete bust. Like picking ninth. Are, are you kidding me? And winning games in this fashion? Yeah, look, and it's something that 
Casey Johnson of the Trib, uh, his thoughts on this in a column either Monday or Tuesday and in the middle of this little mini winning streak the Bulls have going, highlighting the contradictory logic of the Bulls trying to build this positive, competitive atmosphere, this positive winning culture, and also doing their best to lose games late in the season to secure a higher draft lottery pick. They are absolutely 100% contradictory. So as happy as Fred Hoiberg may have been about his his guy's effort last night, holding off a comeback and, and finding a way to win that game, as happy as he might be for newcomer Sean Kilpatrick, who was just saying all these wonderful flowery things about how happy he is to be in this Bulls organization and how he was so warmly welcomed and how this is such a positive culture and a positive locker room that the Bulls have this season. Great, grand, wonderful. No yelling on the bus. I'm sorry. But that does nothing to help what you set out to do this season, which was get yourself a high lottery pick. Paxson said that was part of the plan. And I'm sorry, but ninth, when if you do a few things a little bit differently down the stretch, you could be right now sitting in as best as fourth. I mean, I just looked at the Tankathon tankathon standings, and if the Bulls had lost these previous three to Orlando, Washington, and Charlotte, they'd be 24 and 44 and tied for fourth in the lottery standings. Fourth! And instead, they're tied for eighth. I mean, that's a big swing. That is a big swing when you talk about the talent that is at the top of this 2018 draft class. And how how are you going to do that to yourself? You want to have a happy, positive winning culture and a happy, positive locker room? Fine. Why the hell is Justin Holiday playing fourth quarter minutes? Why is Bobby Portis playing fourth quarter minutes? The, the Bulls did this to themselves. They did this to themselves. It's a question of, like, I wouldn't be mad if Chris Dunlawry Marketing and Zach Levine are pulling off these wins. At least, at least you're getting something from this, but it's like... You have you have Sean Kilpatrick, who just joined this team a handful of days ago, going out there and winning games in the fourth quarter for you. I don't even know if this guy's going to be around next season, and I don't know. I, 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 I honestly have no idea what what the front office could be thinking now. Like, even though they have these two games against the Nets, which are going to come up huge, you're still chasing three other teams. Like, you're chasing Sacramento. You're chasing New York and you're chasing the Knicks. You're chasing three teams total for a, a possibility of moving back to eighth or seventh. And looking at their schedules, we already went over it. I mean, there was two there was two surefire losses for Sacramento at the end of the season. They have to play the Rockets and the Celtics. So New York has the Heat, the Bucks, and then Cleveland twice to, to close out the season. Odds are, that sounds like a Knicks team that's going to lose four straight. So... Beyond that, this net series could be the biggest where New York might even slide up into the seventh spot and you're praying that maybe the Nets slide all the way. They win a couple games and the Bulls can slide down to that eighth spot and the Nets fall all the way to the the ninth spot. Like, that's what you're hoping for now. Otherwise, we're looking at a Bulls team that's going to be picking probably ninth to close out this season, especially if they win another game. Like, this was pretty much the, the nail in the coffin Bulls, it's pretty much solidified. They'll be lucky to get the eighth seed, and you could pray maybe getting the seventh seed. Um, but, I, Matt, I had a chance to look over just as this was going on. I went back and looked over the last 10 years of players that were picked 
at the number eight and number nine spot. So this is going all the way back to 2008. So let me just list them off really fast for you, just to give you an idea what type of talent was there, kind of what the draft history says. So in 08, it was Joe Alexander and G- DJ Augustine. 09 was Jordan Hill and DeMar DeRozan. So DeMar DeRozan taking number nine. Um, Alpha Rico Mino and Gordon Hayward in 2010, 2011, Brandon Knight and Kemba Walker. Uh, funny thing about 2011 is Kawhi Leonard, Clay Thompson, Tobias Harris, Nico Miritich, and Jimmy Butler were all taken after them. Um, 2012, Terrence Ross, Andre Drummond. 2013, Contavious Caldwell Pope and Trey Burke. CJ McCollum, Giannis, and Rudy Gobert were all taken after them too. Uh, 2014, Nick Stauskas and Noah Vonley. 2015, Stanley Johnson, Frank Kaminsky. 2016, Marquise Chris and Jacob Potl. Uh, 2017, Frank Nitlikina and Dennis Smith Jr. So, assuming the Bulls are going to end up with the 8th or the ninth spot, what does that tell you in terms of draft, draft history, especially over the last four years? Well, it tells you that you can find an all-star caliber player at that spot. I mean, some of the names you just rattled off, DeMar DeRozan, Kemba Walker, C.J. McCollum, Giannis, like that, all stars, all star players. So it's possible. And you look at what the Bulls were able to do with stealing Markkanen seventh. I think if you were to do the 2017 draft over again, Markkanen is shown that he has a higher ceiling and better potential, not only that, but better NBA-ready skills right now as a rookie than a hand like then two or maybe even three guys that were taken ahead of him. So, and this goes back to our conversation that I think we had on Monday as far as what kind of faith do you have in the Bulls front office and their scouting team when it comes to picking the right guy in this upcoming draft. It's possible that they can find a star caliber player there. Hell, they found Jimmy Butler at 30. And we're talking about picking 8th or ninth, and then again, depending on how New Orleans finishes out the season, somewhere as high up as 14th if they fall into the lottery, or maybe somewhere like 15 through 18. So you got two two picks in that first round, in the middle of the first round, where you can find ideally two guys who are capable to play in the NBA, maybe one of whom can actually have some all-star potential. So it's looking back as you rattle off those list of guys who were drafted 8th and ninth in recent years, you can see the proof right there. They can find an all-star caliber player, but every draft is different. And in this year's draft, to me, there is a pretty sizable drop-off when you're talking about the guys who are going to be going top five, maybe top six, and then the rest of the pack. And that is why this sucks so badly. Before we get to mailbag questions, I want to ask you this question because one of our listeners brought it up to me yesterday and I think thought it was an interesting point and now more so with this win and kind of solidifying staying between eight and nine. Uh, the net series still being pretty important, but uh, not as important if the Bulls would have lost this game or the game against Washington. Um, but the question was, is do you think the front office feels a little bit more relieved that barring any any potential, I don't know, out, outrageous swing, the Bulls don't end up in the top five. Do you think that they're uh, they feel a little bit of a sigh of relief because the pressure to hit on a top five pick is so much greater? And I think fans here would be more pressured, have more pressure on them to make the right selection in the top five, maybe than outside of the top ten. No, 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 no. That's ludicrous. 
I don't know who brought that to your attention. I don't know who thinks that that's a valid point, but no, that is idiotic. Okay, I mean, come on, really? Oh, we're we're really glad that we're picking somewhere closer to ten than closer to one because it takes the pressure off of us as a front office, as an as an organization, to really get that that high lottery pick correct. What are are you kidding me? Get out of here with that nonsense! No, the Bulls wanted to get a top five pick this year, and they screwed up. And it's not like they can come to the the fan base and say, well. You know, we're actually pretty happy about this. We're okay with everything. Hey, plus, like, remember, we got that pick for Nico. Give ourselves a pat on the back for that. But we're really glad that we're picking, you know, eighth or ninth as opposed to one through three because it really takes the pressure off of ourselves. They would never say that to the public. They'd never say that to their fan base. And honestly, they wouldn't even feel good about saying that to themselves, trying to console themselves for screwing themselves out of a top five pick. No, that's ridiculous. Obviously, you want the top five pick. I said to him, I said, I feel like the top six guys, top seven even, you could maybe even include, are, are, could be something special in their own capacity. Like, there's more of a sure bet. And like you were saying, there's a, there's a high drop-off between the top six and the top six, maybe top seven potential guys, and then the rest of the players in this draft. So I said, um, they wouldn't feel more pressure. I feel like there would be more pressure outside of it because then you're relying more on your scouting team. And if your scouting team fails, it just, you don't necessarily, like you were saying, move forward, you kind of stay stagnant. And if you miss on a guy like that, um, it's more on your scouting team than it is on maybe the talent that's on the floor. Like this draft is something special too. I think that you looked, I just read a lot for you the last four years, what's being picked at eight, nine. And even, even if you go look at the top lottery picks, like outside the top two or three picks, the drafts have been scarce, and a lot of these guys haven't turned out to be maybe what they were drafted at, or they were valued too high. Um, this draft is something special, and when you're talking about the top five or the top six picks, obviously any front office in this in this league will want that. They would want a top five pick. So I don't I don't know what the Bulls are going to do here, but it doesn't take any pressure off of them. I, I mean, I could see what you what you would mean by maybe the consequence of not hitting on a top five is is might be harsher than outside of a top five. But if you ask them straight up, they obviously would want that top five pick. Honestly, honestly, Jordan, with the majority of the way the fan base feels about this front office right now, that would not change anything. But everybody, everybody in Chicago is already sick of this front office. Everybody in Chicago already doubts the capabilities of this front office. So picking one through five or picking five through ten and the amount of pressure that's on them to hit with the guy that they choose in this upcoming draft in that you know that top tier of the lottery no the pressure's the same either way the pressure on this bulls fan base or on this bulls front office by the fan base has been at a dangerous code red alert alert level for oh i don't know the past three years now and it's not gonna I mean, they, there are things that they can do to alleviate some of that pressure. And personally, I have been okay with or even, dare I say, impressed by some of the things that they've done over the past year to sort of alleviate my hashtag Firegar Packs anger. But various levels of pressure on where you're drafting and the pressure on hitting on that guy... That will not change in the greater scope how this fan base feels about the front office and their job performance. No. It's already at a, you know, approval rating somewhere in the teens, right? 
based on what we see on Twitter, based on what we hear from Bulls fans everywhere, no. I mean, last straw? How many different last straws has this Bulls front office had based on the general opinion of their fan base? I don't think I, I don't think this moves the needle I, either way. And that's the point. You bring up the point is like, ultimately, it doesn't matter what the fan base thinks. It's what Jerry Reinsdorf or Michael Reinsdorf thinks. And... For me, I said too. I said like, if if there's anybody in that front office that's job might not be secure if you don't hit on this pick this year, is probably Gar Foreman. Like John Paxson's probably going to be with the Bulls until he doesn't want that job anymore. We've said that over and over again, and the steps that he's taken this year are pretty good, and that's why we said separate entities there. So Gar Foreman's been spent a lot of t- spending a lot of time going and seeing these top recruits around the league. Um, that's been part of his job. So this is going to be more important, I think, to Gar Foreman than anything else. Um, and we'll see. We'll see what happens. But in terms of positioning and what the Bulls could have done, especially over the last two weeks, could have put them in a better position. I mean, they did the right thing. They shut down Levine. They shut down Chris Dunn. They shut down Denzel Valentine. Um, but like you said, going back to that loss last night, I mean, there's there's no excuse to have guys like Justin Holiday. And even when Shaq Kilpatrick was hot, Take those two guys out of the game and put your worst lineup in there. Like Fred's got to know, and you got to care a little bit if it means moving up potentially two spots in the draft at the end of the season. I mean, you got to know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's really they they shot themselves in the foot with this little three game winning streak. I hope I hope Fred is proud. I hope they're all happy with what they've done because I, they they screwed themselves. They screwed themselves. There's really no other way to say it. All right, we're going to take a short break here. When we come back, we're taking mailbag questions. So stay right with us here at Locked on Bulls. Follow Locked on Bulls on social media. On Twitter, at Locked on Bulls, at Jordan C. Malley, and at Bulls underscore Peck. And on Facebook, at Facebook.com slash Locked on Chai Bulls. Stay up to date with everything Chicago Bulls at LockedOnBulls.com. And subscribe to the show on iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and anywhere you find podcasts. All right, Matt, we're back with mailbag questions here. Remember, you can send us questions or voicemails at 331-979-1369. That's our text and voicemail line. Save that number in your phone at Locked on Bulls. You can always submit your questions on social media at Twitter at Locked on Bulls, at Jordan C. Malliott, at Bulls underscore Peck. Uh, So the first one here comes from an email, and this one says the Bulls were not able to get uh, an extensive look at their young trio playing together. So should the Bulls hold off on investing in this group immediately? Specifically, would it be better to give Levine a one-year, 20-plus million dollar deal, similar to what... Uh, Contavious Caldwell Pope got with the Lakers last offseason or do you think the market will dictate the Bulls give him a multi-year deal in the 20 million plus range and if so would the Bulls actually be better off letting him walk Matt I'll let you touch on this first it's an interesting question and it's certainly one that we've talked about ad nauseum on this show uh, as we get closer to the end of the season and the upcoming offseason as far as what to do with Zach Levine as he is a restricted free agent with a small sample size of games played, an even smaller sample size of games played with the other two members of this new core in Markinen and Dunn. Those two, along with Levine, had the trio only shared the court 12 times this season. So that's certainly frustrating, and it makes you worry about what kind of investment financially you're getting yourself into as the Bulls front office with Levine this offseason. 
as far as the maybe try to look at a one year twenty million dollar deal, you know, approve it short term contract. It's it's an interesting theory. But as as far as the other part of the question, which is, do you think the market will dictate the Bulls give him a multi year deal in that twenty million per range? I I don't see Levine getting big offers from multiple teams this summer. You look around the league, and there are only so many teams that will have real cap space to sign a max level contract guy. Uh, you know, of the thirty teams, only a handful. Count them on your hand. The number of teams that are going to have a big a big chunk of money to spend this summer. One of them is the Bulls. So. Of those other few teams around the league that could spend big money on a guy this summer, coming off an ACL, the short amount of work that you can analyze and look at from Levine this season, from you know February to or J- late January to April, to March, really, that's it. Who's putting down a multi-year deal in front of Zach Levine that's paying him twenty mil per? I just don't see it. So. I think the Bulls front office actually has a little bit of leverage here. And instead of saying, all right, we're going to sign you on a one-year prove-it deal, if the Bulls do truly believe that Levine, who is still young, not even in his prime, has potential to be a star player for this team, but they might have the leverage to say, all right, kind of what they did with Nico last summer. Like, look, Levine, you said you want to be here. We want you here. But if you feel the need... To go out and see if you can, you know, see what else is out there. Find an offer. We will match it. 100% we will match it. And see if he does. And if he if he finds some, some kind of offer, I doubt it's going to be a max level contract that the Bulls would have to match. If he doesn't find an offer, then the Bulls can say, look, we want you here, but you're coming off an injury. We didn't see a whole lot from you. We, you know, we, we believe in your future, but let's be real. We're not, we're not in the position to give you a max level contract because we don't need to. And what we want to do is invest in some of the pieces around you as we're trying to build this team. We want to sign Bobby Portis. We want. Do you want Bobby Portis on this team? Do you want him as a teammate? I bet you do. Let's give him some money. So, ideally, in my eyes, what happens is that the Bulls and and Levine sit down at the negotiating table and come to terms on a multi-year contract that is significantly short of a max-level contract. That is a win that the Bulls front office could actually execute this off. Significant meaning like 8 to $10 million less per year? Sure. Significant or more than that? Like, I mean, like he is not a max-level player. He is not a guy so who I'm deserves thinking- a max-level contract this, this offseason. Right. So extend him, sign him on a three- or four-year deal where he's making something in the teens, you know, $16 million per. I'd be okay with that. I think for Levine, I don't think he takes a one-year deal. Like, looking at, like, what could... Like, just thinking about it, you're 22 years old. I mean, maybe he would bet on himself. But I I got to imagine, out of what, the six or seven teams that actually do have money this season, uh, this offseason to spend, I mean, all it takes is one team. And even if they're not really interested, they could bait the Bulls into having to sign him. Um, I don't know what team would really want to do that, but... There might be some interest out there. I just I don't see as Levine being a young player, still kind of unproven three seasons in, and also having an ACL tear. 
I, I, I would imagine he wants a multi, multi-year multi deal, and that might come with a little bit of a pay cut than maybe what he initially wanted. Um, if you can stay in, I, I'm even willing to push, like if you can stay around the Victor Oladipo money, um, something less than Brad, what Bradley Beal's getting, like stay around that 20 to 22 million, even if you have to push it, like to keep him around for four or five years, if that's the guy you want to command, then fine. But the last thing I want to see is one of two things, either another team driving up the price on Levine for a multi-year deal or eventually letting Levine walk. Like, I know that that last one's probably a little bit far-fetched, but I don't want to see either of those happen. So if they can find a deal to sit down and even if they have to overspend a little bit uh, to keep your investment around for four or five years and what you committed to in this core when you traded Jimmy Butler, like... That's fine. I'm fine with that. But you start going over any money like Bradley Beal's money or you start getting close to that max, then then there's some problems. There's some issues because there's still a lot of questions with Zach Levine's game and uh, a lot of development still left for him to do um, with this Bulls team. So, uh, yeah, that's where I kind of sit where, with that. So I don't really see a one year deal as as maybe a possibility. I just I just can't see it from Levine's side. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, I think I'm, I'm with you there. All right, thank you uh, for that question. Let's move on to the next one. This uh, comes in our text line, area code 317, asks, should we be giving Garpax more credit for what they've done with the rebuild? They got done in Levine, stole marketing at the seventh pick, claimed David Nwaba, signed Blake, and he got a first-round pick for Nico, and recently got Sean Kilpatrick. Jordan, what do you think? Are we not giving Garpax enough credit for what this rebuild has been so far? Look, I think we've been giving them their their fair fair amount of credit, especially over the last couple of months. We've brought up all of those points too. We said, you know, there was small goals, like there was one one major goal that the Bulls did not achieve and they're not going to achieve this season outside of a, a small miracle happening this summer. That goal was to get into the top five. They built this roster to lose. So that was their main goal, and they failed. They're, they're pretty much going to fail at that. A lot of these smaller, maybe short-term goals are great. Uh, David Nawab is signing him and bringing him in, and what he's developed in this year, great. Doing what the impossible, flipping Nico Miritich after a fight with a, with a teammate in Bobby Portis, flipping him for a first-round pick. He helped himself out as much as uh, the front office took their chances on a one-year deal or a two-year deal with an option on him. So you got a first-round pick for him, and probably the best first-round pick, I would say, out of any of those trades made at the deadline. So that's another one. Uh, Blakeney was a nice pickup. I, I'm still... I'm still anxious to see what he can do um, if the Bulls sign him to a short-term NBA contract. I'd like to see what he could do and maybe um, build himself a, a, a quiet NBA career here on the bench. I don't know what he can do. He's a scorer for sure. So Blakeney's cool. I like him a lot. Um, outside of that, the marketing pick has been great so far. He looks like he's going to be a stud. Chris Dunn has is taking steps in his development. Zach Levine's still a question mark. So there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that yes, the Bulls get Bulls front office gets a ton of credit for. Um, but but your one main goal it goes back to what our conversation was just a few minutes ago. The main goal was to get in the top five, and I said the failure of this season would not be would be getting in the top five or the top six. If you get anywhere outside of that, it's a failure. That was your number one goal this season, and they're going to fail at that. So yes, they get credit, but they also get criticism to yeah. go with it. I mean, I think uh, you touched on a lot of good points there, and I think I'm I'm with you for the most part. Bulls fans can't get irrationally mad at Gar and or Paxson when 
at times this season, we saw Lowry Markkinen, Chris Dunn, and or Zach Levine leading them to wins that you didn't want because you were on board the tank train. Because if you trashed them for getting robbed in the Jimmy Butler trade and weren't excited about those pieces, you cannot then in turn be mad at them when Markkinen, Dunn, or Levine leads them to victories. Because you're saying, I don't believe in this young core. Wait. Dang it, this young core is good, and they're winning games, and that's not what we're we're supposed to be doing. No, I'm sorry, that's hypocritical. And if you want to be legitimately criticizing this front office, do not be hypocritical about it. So they deserve credit for the fact that at times this season, it looks like Dunn, Levine, and Markkinen are all quality young pieces they got in a trade when you never get equal value when you trade away a star, borderline superstar caliber player like Jimmy Butler. I mean, really, other than allowing Minnesota to take their 16th pick as opposed to keeping both of them, you know, getting their pick and those pieces in the trade, I think that's about as good as the Bulls could have done as far as getting value for Jimmy Butler. So they get credit for that. They also get credit for finding a pick for Nico, as you said. But if they end up drafting ninth, that is something that they set out to get a high lottery pick this season, and they put all the fancy verbal bows on not talking about tanking and building a positive culture, et cetera, et cetera. Well, no. You knew that part of the plan was adding another high-level lottery pick to this young core, and you screw the pooch on that. So where is the Bulls front office now when it comes to scrutiny from the fan base as opposed to at the start of this season? They've gotten certainly some check marks things that they deserve credit for. But they also, you know, they deserve some blame for not being smart enough to figure out how to get themselves in position for that high lottery draft pick. And then, of course, you know, this this is an ongoing thing. For as much as Bulls fans want this front office gone, until the Reinsdorf family says so, they're not going anywhere. So what's the next piece of evaluation? Well... What do you do on draft night? Do you try to move Holiday or Lopez? Try to you know add something else? Try to move up? What do you want to do? And then we'll be sitting here a year from now talking about whoever it was that the Bulls picked with their pick, whoever it was that the Bulls picked with the Pels pick. What did their rookie seasons look like? What else did they do in the offseason to try to get this rebuild going in the right direction? So, yes, I think majority... Garpacks don't get enough credit because most Bulls fans at this point have tuned them out and assume that everything they do is a screw up. The Bulls fans who don't really pay attention and look but and try to try to read between the lines and see the positives when they're there are so quick to say hashtag #firegarpacks that they immediately look over any credit that the front office might deserve because they're so sick of them. And I can sympathize with that. I'm saying I can sympathize with that, but I'm saying Probably, if the question is, do they not get enough credit for the things that they've done right over the past year or so? I'd say, yeah, they don't get enough credit. And look, we're we're probably a little bit more milder when it comes to, especially this season, like quick head-jerking reactions to the front office. Like, we've given them a lot of credit over this season. Uh, things that have done, things that when things have gone well, we've given them a ton of credit. When they've made some of these moves that needed to be made, it's we've given them credit, but like you had said, and now I think uh, I think the biggest question here, Matt, is if the Bulls finish the season out, they stay at nine or even they move up to eight, depending on what they do with the Nets. 
do you see them or the fan base or anybody around the organization putting more pressure on them to try and move up? Like, because they set their 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 sights on the top five and saying that they wanted one of these high lottery drafts, does that put pressure on them at all to to maybe look at a deal on draft nights and turn around and try to move up, even if it is two spots? Like, to try to move to that top six, do you think this... There's going to be any more pressure on them coming up maybe in the next month or two uh, leading up to draft night to try and trade up. It depends on what you need to do to trade up. If if you need to include that Pelicans pick to trade up from 8th or ninth to, say, 5th or 6th, no. That's absurd. That's a waste of a pick. That's a waste of what you accomplished by getting a first-round pick for Nico. You can still look at all those guys you rattled off who were guys taking 8, 9, you can have a same list of guys who were taken 14 or 15 or 16 or 17 that turned into valuable players at the NBA level. For the Bulls to package the Pelicans pick with their own to trade up is a complete waste. If the Bulls are interested in a certain guy, there is a guy that they really want and they know that they'll have to trade up to get him from where they are with their first pick. If they can do so, Without moving that Pelicans pick, I say, sure, go for it. Why not? But I am skeptical that any of those teams ahead of the Bulls are going to be interested in trading down. And if they are, it'll it'll depend on what exactly the Bulls have to give up to move up. Because if, you know, if you're talking about throwing in that Pelicans pick, I don't think moving up a few spots is worth it. I really don't. Take the two players. Take the two players at 8 and 15 or 8 and 16, whatever it ends up being, instead of packaging them to get a player at 3 or 4. See, I think I disagree with you on that. If the Bulls are going to end up at 9 and that Pelicans pick is at 18, so 9 and 18, to move up to 6, like, yeah, they screwed it up in during the season, but if you've got an offer on the table to move up, like, bar in mind that you're not picking at 18. So the chances of a guy turning out to be a quality role player, yes, the Bulls have found players before in the past. What yes, do you mean they're has, not picking at 18? You would be picking at 18, but I'm saying if there's an offer on the table for number for the, the sixth overall pick and you have to trade the ninth pick and the 18th pick, the odds of that 18th pick, if you're trading it away, if it turning out to be anything is much lower than maybe moving up to six where it could be more of a guarantee that that player turns out to be something. So... Instead, yeah, but you have you have the potential of two young players as opposed to the potential of one. But then you also have the potential of two busts over a, a potential superstar in the top six. What we were just talking you, what about. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? You have a potential bust at six or two potential busts at nine and 16. It's a potential bust. It's a potential star. It's a potential mediocre NBA player. The potential is all the same, man. I disagree. The potential is not all the same at the top six. The top six of this draft has been the best of, what, the last five years? The talent of what we know that's coming out of this draft in the top six. You're telling me you wouldn't trade the ninth pick and the 18th pick right now to turn that into a top six pick with with the potential? Well, obviously, it depends on who went one through five and who's still available at six. If, you know, if we're getting into hypotheticals, it absolutely depends because if that's a player that not, not is a necessarily perfect fit for the Bulls, then no, I certainly wouldn't. But even so, I, dude, two is better than one. 
And I know that you're talking about the, you know, the significantly higher upside of the guys in that top tier, and that's why we're so pissed off that they screwed up this tank over the last few games. But still, you're talking about a guy getting like they can still get somebody like Mikhail Bridges or, you know, a wing that this team desperately needs and then take a flyer on a guy in the middle of the first round and we all know that it's possible to find stars in that in that spot for a team that is so short on talent and trying to build with young pieces you'd really be willing to sacrifice two first round picks to take the first of those two and move it up two or three spots i mean come on man to me that's just so illogical i don't like the what the number one goal is to get to a top 5 pick I think I for me I think the top six players in this draft can be something special and it's something that I would love to add to this Bulls core Aiton uh, Doncic Michael Porter Jr. Marvin Bagley okay yeah but you're so you're not getting Aiton you're not getting you're not getting Doncic maybe Porter's there at six maybe Bagley's there at six but I don't think he will be I think a team will take him based on his physicality alone so like who are you really excited about moving up three spots to take if I mean you have a chance of Porter slipping a chance that maybe Marvin Bagley slipping Jaron Jackson Jr. could be there at six uh Mohamed Bamba could be there at six so there's four players like to me The mistake was already, we already said, the mistake was not getting, putting themselves in the position to get top five or top six. Okay, Yeah, they made that mistake, but don't make another mistake by what's one of the few things they did well this year? Getting a first round pick for Nico. Don't correct a mistake with another mistake and cough up that extra first round pick. That's stupid. The, The same logic which you're arguing about trading two first round picks away and the logic of, yeah, there there could be talent at any position here. I mean, how do you know that's going to be a mistake? What happens if that guy turns into to an NBA All-Star? Multiple-time All-Star. And that ninth and 18th pick is our busts or just role players. So the same logic that you're arguing about the ninth and the 18th pick and the talent that the Bulls could potentially get at both of those spots, that same argument could be placed at the sixth pick. If, if, I'm just saying, like, if the Bulls are looking to move up, if it takes one, two, or three spots to move up and you're trading two first-round picks, to me, I think you take a good and hard look at that and you really evaluate what you think of the top six. So I guess it doesn't matter what I I think or what you think. It matters what the Bulls front office and their scouting system really thinks of this top six or the top five players in this draft. If the Bulls say we can't leave this draft without one of these top five guys, I think I think they'll do whatever it takes. And if they think that, you know, just flipping Nico Miritich for that first for that late first round pick, that 18th pick, and that could be something completely different in a couple games. Could slide all the way to 21 or 22. At that point, I don't know. You could make the deal. So they like those guys that much where they can't leave the draft without it. And you trade your ninth and whatever the Pelicans pick goes. I'm not all that mad. And so it, maybe it just depends on what the front office really does think of these top five guys or if they can find value at 9 and 18 rather than moving up. Yeah. And look, I mean, I I see your your point of view. And I, I mean, if and again, this depends on who would be there and where the Bulls would be trading up to. I wouldn't be blow my top angry if the Bulls package their pick and the Pelicans pick to move up to get one of those top tier guys. If in this hypothetical, they are somewhere down at eight or nine and want to move up from the Bulls front office perspective. I would be very surprised to see them do that. As much as they said, we're banking on a high lottery pick. They are so proud 
of what they were able to do by getting that first-round pick for Nico, and they are repeatedly saying how excited they are to add two more young pieces in this upcoming draft. Two. Not one. Two. So maybe they're just going to gloss over the fact that they were initially planning on adding one of these top-tier players in the top five with the top five pick and saying, actually, hey, you know what? That would have been great. Oops, we won a few games. That's that's a you know that's a surprising positive. We actually won some games with this young team. That that's great. They're you know they can spin that. Bulls front office is great at spinning. And now the spin is we're excited to add two young pieces, not one, two. Which is why I would be very surprised to see them trade both of them away to move up a couple of spots. I would be very surprised. Text us or send us a voicemails at 331-979-1369. This comes from the 224. Through this three-game winning streak, it's clear the Bulls won't be picking the top six or even the top seven. Assuming they don't get lucky in the lottery, where does missing out on one of these studs in the draft rank on the list of Garpacks mistakes? So this kind of goes along with our entire conversation this episode. So um, if you're putting this in terms of missing out on their number one goal, Matt, I guess that's what, what this texter is saying. Where do you put it in terms of mistakes and where do you stack that up at? If you even consider this to be a blunder or a mistake, I know me and you both do, but Bulls fans out there, some of them might not. Yeah, no, it's definitely a goof. Those anti-tanking Bulls fans that are still out there that are thrilled just you know, chuffed to bits with this little pointless three-game losing streak to wake the F up and smell the coffee. You don't know what the hell you're talking about. That being said, in the long line of mistakes, what I would deem to be mistakes by this Bulls front office, whether you're talking about the Taj and Doug to OKC for campaign trade, whether you're talking about signing Dwayne Wade and Rajon Rondo a couple of summers ago, paying Dwayne Wade $38.5 million for one pointless season. The list goes on and on. I, this is not very high up there. Yeah, it sucks that they accidentally won more games than they were intending to and are gonna not, and are likely not going to be picking in the top five because of it. Yeah, it sucks. It's, it's a really unfortunate blemish on what has been, you know, Considering all of the setbacks and various injuries to key guys, uh, you know, a, a tempedly optimistic first year of starting over. You love Lowry Markin and what you've seen from him. When Chris Dunn was playing healthy for that stretch of December and January, he looked like a legit point guard. Zach Levine, at times, after nearly not playing for a full year, looks like a guy who can be a good scorer in this league. There are plenty of bright spots. So measuring where the not getting a top five pick, you know, falls as far as their mistakes, you look at why that is happening and some of the other pieces that have contributed to wins this season. Bobby Portis, you know, David Nwaba. For every Garpacks mistake this season, as far as they're screwing up the tank, there are examples of why they're winning more games than people thought because they have found good young talent. So, missing out on a top five, yeah, it sucks. It's unfortunate. But 
ranking it anywhere near the top of the other blunders that this Bulls front office has made? No, nowhere close in my opinion. Yeah, I agree with you. And maybe this this is a more so a question to come back on maybe three, four years down the road when you actually figure out what those top five picks look like and what they end up being. That's so, true. So if Very you do true. that... Hard yeah. to answer right now. So I figure like maybe three or four years down the road, if we still have them, if they're still a part of the front office, then you could look back on this. If they all turn out to be all-star level, you know, franchise changing talents, then yes, this could be a huge blunder. But if they turn out to all be busts or just, you know, not exactly what they expected to be, then it's probably not that bad. But I think it's more of a wait and see for this. Um, but like, I thought it's funny, like you know, of the blunders that they've made before, I mean, this doesn't really, it doesn't really stack up that high, uh, for me at least, and maybe for some other people out there who, who really think that the top five in this draft are going to be a can't miss, if you miss on one of those five guys that it could set your franchise back, like if you're one of those people out there that think that, then maybe this ranks up higher for you, but yeah, some of those other ones that you had rattled off earlier, uh, probably rank up there way higher than some of these other ones. And look, it's going to be an important summer for not only whatever the bulls do with their picks, whatever they do in free agency, however they decide to sign Zach Levine, whether it's short or long term. It's a really important summer for the Bulls here, and I think that's what we're getting down to. Um, the one thing that I ke- that keeps sticking with me throughout this season, Matt, is we're kind of closing the season out. The one thing that sticks with me the entire time, and I guess you could put more blame, and I was thinking to myself, I'm like, why are people going after the front office after some of these wins where their young talent is winning games, and especially like the last two weeks of the season? Um, I think back to games in December. I think back to games in January, we were we were asking ourselves like, why are we winning games? Why are we going on winning streaks? Why are guys playing extended minutes like Justin Holiday, and Robin Lopez and Nico Miritich? Like that frustrates me more than anything. So like, if you're if you're mad about the body of work, there's a lot of games where the Bulls were picking up wins against teams they shouldn't have. I was laughing to my roommates the other day. I said. The Bulls, just looking at what they've done against the Hornets and the Magic alone, they're 7-1 and one this season against two teams that are in the lottery right now. Um, two of those Hornets games, one came in overtime and the other came on a buzzer beater miss. Um, so some of those games are quick turnarounds, and the Bulls have a really, really solid record against a lot of lottery teams, and I think that's the biggest killer. So if you want to like, look at this and kill the front office for something, Ask yourself why guys were playing extended minutes in December and January when this was a season of development. So yeah. maybe that's a place to look for instead of right here the last two weeks of the season where they're picking up wins. And also, I mean, like why why sign Justin Holiday in the first place? Not only can we ask ourselves why the hell was Holiday getting fourth quarter minutes in that game last night? If you're trying to tank, why sign Justin Holiday? A strong shooting, reliable veteran. Obviously, the Bulls have talked about his leadership skills and, and the value that he brings in that department. So that's clearly a big part of why they wanted him to be here. But kind of shot yourself in the foot with that one, too. Because, you know, if, if they didn't have Robin Lopez and Justin Holiday, then they wouldn't have gotten in trouble for not playing them. And then they wouldn't be afraid right now to not play those guys down the stretch. Because clearly that's what's happening. Fred after the warning, the Bulls front office after the warning, it's saying, "All right, we're we're not gonna we're not gonna screw up." Yet, yes, sir, Mister Adam Silver, sir. 
yes, we're sorry. We're so sorry. We're playing all of our guys from here on out. And, you know, they've still, you know, they've had, you know, Rolo DNPs here and there and not playing Holiday heavy second half minutes in some of these games. But still, seriously, what the hell was Holiday doing in the fourth quarter of that game? Makes no sense. I think another frustrating thing, too, just to kind of cap this off. Why why did they choose to not shut down Denzel Valentine earlier? I was reading a report, I think it was from Casey Johnson, and it said that there was some swelling in his knee as early as March 14th. Uh, today is April 4th, and they just shut him down a few days ago, and he had um, a small procedure on his knee to reduce some swelling. Um, similar procedure he had in college at Michigan State. He missed four games there. Uh, he also had it in high school as well. I'm a little bit frustrated that if he was out there playing games when you knew his knee was swelled up, when you're going out there and playing meaningless games, that frustrates me too. Like, the last thing we need is Denzel Valentine coming off a really solid season this year and then messing it up, his knee up in the last two weeks of the season. So he had surgery to reduce the fluids uh, in his knee. So it, it seems like it's a common practice for what he's done. He's done it in the past before. He's come back relatively quick for Michigan State. So it's nothing crazy. Um, but I'm a little bit wary of like, why did it take so long for them to decide to do this now? Like there's four games left in the season and they just shut him down a few days ago. Like, why didn't you at March 14th when you saw some swelling, just let him sit shut him down completely for the season like they did for Levine and Chris Dunn which I think was uh, a late call yeah and you could ask the same question about Markkinen look as great as it's been to see Markkinen playing with such confidence in these last three or four games knocking down five three-pointers in each of the last two games putting up 20 plus points you like to see that from the rookie who we all thought hit the rookie wall about a month ago and now is finishing out the season strong great grand but if, if Markkinen has been having a nagging back injury and sore back, back spasms, whatever it's been all season long, and you're trying to move up a few spots, where is the harm and where is the risk in saying, Markkinen, bad back, we're shutting you down. Throw Omer Sheik out there for the last you know seven or eight games of the season. <laughs> Ser- no, I'm serious. Like It, sound, it sounds move. like a joke, but I'm serious. Hey, League, no, it's legit. Markkinen's got a sore back. You know, a sore back is a sore back. We don't want him to play. Because as great as it's been, you know, do the Bulls win these past three games without Markkinen on the floor with his insanely efficient scoring? Well, that's going to about do it here on Locked on Bulls. Remember, you can follow us on social media at Jordan C. Malley, at Bulls underscore Peck, and at Locked on Bulls. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Locked on Bulls. We're giving away a Joakim Noah autographed 16 by 20 picture. If you want to qualify to win that, all you have to do is go to your favorite podcast provider. Go ahead and leave us a review. So whether that's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, go ahead and leave us a review. Takes literally 30 seconds. Screenshot that review and then send it to us at LockedOnBulls at gmail.com. You definitely want this picture. It's Bulls favorite in Joakim Noah. It's an awesome thing to have as part of a collectible if you've got a basement or a man cave or something like that. Uh, it's an awesome, awesome collectible to have. 
Um, so we're giving that away 30 second review for us and you'll be automatically qualified to enter to win. Uh, we're live on Dash Radio, DashRadio.com and the Dash Radio app on the Nothing But Net channel. We're live on Dash Radio every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central Time. Make sure you're following the Locked On Podcast Network on Facebook and Twitter as well. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Google Play, and anywhere you find podcasts, you will find us. For Jordan Malley and Matt Peck, we are out, Bulls Nation. Have a great one. We'll be back tomorrow with a fresh episode. We are out. Deuces. Locked on Bulls, a show for the most passionate fan base in the NBA. Hosts Jordan Malley and Matt Peck dive into the best Bulls news and stories around the NBA. Locked on Bulls is live on Dash Radio every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, starting at 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central. For more content and to stay up to date, head over to LockedOnBulls.com, part of FanRag Sports. Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet. The lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit makes these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the Super Light Tree Runner on your next adventure. Its cushy, lightweight foam midsole supports every step, and the extra outsole traction gives you the grip to just go for it. The eucalyptus fiber upper adds next-level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the Super Light Tree Runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24.